You have just entered the Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. Here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Serafine. So it's Friday, March 6th in the Liberty Lighthouse. Announcement for you, the 64 My Rights phone number that you can call to leave messages for the show. You can text that number now too. So call or text your questions, comments, and concerns to the Liberty Lighthouse at 64 My Rights. That's 646-974-4487. So many of our progressive friends want some form of socialized medicine or Medicare for all or free health care in our country here in the United States of America, I thought I would reach out to a friend of mine in Canada, Mr. Mike Phillip, host of American Uck Radio on Mojo Five O, a man who is actually covered by socialized medicine to find out, well, is it the utopia that our leftist friends are promising? Personally, I don't know why we would want to expand the Medicare program. Medicare and Medicaid last year we're willing to admit to $67 billion worth of inappropriate payments. So why would we want to expand that system? But anyway, Mike Phillip is going to tell us what it's like on the northern side of the border up in Canada. Let's just jump right into the telephone conversation I had with Mr. Mike Phillip that we recorded on Wednesday evening. So just a couple of days ago. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse. With your Liberty Lighthouse keeper. Your beacon of common sense. Your wiki, if you will. Peter Seraphine. We urge you to join the conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. And sign up to be a member at liberty-lighthouse.com. Thanks for coming to the Liberty Lighthouse. Today we've got a special treat. we got Mike Phillip of American Uck Radio uh, calling in to tell us about the uh, Canadian healthcare system since so many of our liberal friends here in America want to migrate to a socialized medical platform and oftentimes they point to Canada and say, like Canada. So I reached out to a Canadian friend who happens to also have a radio show. So Mike Phillip, welcome aboard. Well, thanks for having me on, Peter. I appreciate it, but I, I do have to take exception with one thing you just said. Oh, what's that? I am an, actually an American. I'm uh, behind enemy lines in Soviet Kanakistan here. That's right. You are dual citizen. That's correct. And, and I didn't mention that right off the bat, and I should have. I'm sorry. <laughs> the whole right, premise buddy. of your show is the fact that you are behind enemy lines. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I, I'm, well, I mean, I was approached to, uh, make a show. I started out, uh, I was co-hosting the Fire Your MD Now radio show with Dr. Peter Glidden over on the Genesis Communications Network. And, uh, he kind of, uh, ended up having to do a lot of road work. And so I was hosting more and more. And the network was getting a ton of emails from people saying, hey, I want to hear more from this Mike Phillip guy. So whatever I was doing, it was working. And they offered me my own show. So to begin with, I had two hours every Saturday. Uh, they figured I wasn't ready to go daily yet. And then uh, eventually I ended up accidentally triggering the National Emergency Alert System. And uh, so the FCC was crawling all over them. And they let me go. But at the same time, I had been in talks with uh, my good friend Ron Phillips over at Mojo 5.0. And uh, they were looking to bring in my show on board, but the time clock was different. Uh, I had four segments with three commercial breaks between the network. And uh, Mojo had one every, you know, 25 minutes, 28.50. And so they were just going to air my show anyway, but that was the uh, controversy over whether or not to have me on board. And so I was able to phone Ron and, and say, you know, this isn't a problem anymore. I've been fired from GCN. 
And so they brought me on every Saturday, and uh, I guess we got a lot of uh, really positive attention with Mojo. They put me on daily, and uh, we're growing all the time. So I'm glad you're a listener. Right, and now you're on Mojo 5.0 uh, Monday through Friday from 2 to 3 o'clock Eastern time. That is correct, sir, yes. I listen to you through iHeartRadio, but uh, okay. our listeners can also search for Mojo 5.0. Uh, or go to mojo50.com to find Mike Phillip and American Unk. Uh, one of my favorite shows on the Mojo, um, I said this just a couple of minutes to you, uh, Mike covers some really serious topics, but he still makes you laugh during the show. And, and that's something I have yet to figure out how to do. So I'm kind of looking at you for some mentorship there. Well, there's nothing better than a ridiculous person trying to cover a serious story. I think that's my gift. <laughs> well, you do it well. I had you call today because I wanted to talk about the healthcare system in Canada. And we are recording yeah. on Wednesday, even though this won't go up until Friday. We're recording on Wednesday. And just on your show today, you had a guest. And I'm sorry, but I forgot his name already. Bill Tufts. And Bill brought up a couple of healthcare related things that I hope we can work into this conversation. Yeah, actually, it was funny because I was thinking that when I was talking to Bill, and uh, actually, he had mentioned it to me this morning because uh, I had phoned him to ask him if he wanted to come on the show, and uh, he started launching into all of these things, and I said, whoa, 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 save it for on the air, buddy, And uh, <laughs> but no, I think we can segue into that beautifully, but I think that the best place to start with all of this would be at the very beginning, how it became a thing in Canada. And it is so culturally ingrained in Canadians now that this is the way it is. Like this, this generation that we have right now, they don't know a time, uh, in their living memory when there was not a socialized healthcare system. So to them, it's, uh, it, it just, you know, they can't comprehend not having it. And it's, uh, well, it's causing problems on multiple levels, uh, especially with some of the things that I'm trying to do, but we can get into that later on. Uh, would you like me to start out with a little bit of history, though, uh, Peter? Absolutely. Excellent. So uh, back in 1867, uh, we Canada signed what was called the Constitution Act, okay? Canada doesn't have a constitution. It has a Constitution Act. You know, you've got laws, you've got acts, you've got statutes. It's a clever way of uh, disguising a a law as an actual constitution. Uh, Canada also has no Articles of Confederation. And a lot of people point this out, that Canada is not actually a country. It's a confederation. Canada is a collective of about ten countries that are known as provinces. A lot of Americans don't know that. And for good reason, because a lot of Canadians don't know it. They've gone to great lengths to hide it from the general public for a very long time, but it's starting to come out. So back in 1867, with the Constitution Act, the provinces were responsible for establishing, maintaining, and managing hospitals, asylums, charities, charitable institutions. And the federal government was given jurisdiction over marine hospitals and quarantine. So the federal government was also given powers to tax and borrow and to spend such money as long as this did not infringe on provincial powers. That is not the case today. The Federal Department of Agriculture actually covered federal health responsibilities from about uh, 1867 to 1919 when the Department of Health was, was created. And over the years, the responsibilities of both levels of government have changed. And so before World War II, healthcare in Canada was for the most part privately delivered and funded. But in 1947, the government of Saskatchewan introduced a province-wide universal healthcare plan. By 1950, both BC and Alberta had similar plans and it basically spiraled out of control from there. Now, let me just say this, Peter. Um, socialized healthcare is not made for a weak sickly, immoral people. And that's what we have in our society today. And it's kind of the same thing that's happening in the U.S. Uh, because 
here's the deal. Back before World War II, when it started going in this direction, people were strong. People didn't lie. People didn't cheat. For the most part, they didn't steal. Uh, we had a very strong Christian, uh, mostly uh, immigrant background. Most of our population was coming over from Europe, uh, up from the United States, over from Russia, Ukraine, places like that. And people were more of a mindset that uh, I ain't taking no pill and I don't need a doctor. So people didn't go running to the doctor every time they got a sniffle or a hangnail, which is the case today. Because like I said, uh, because it is uh, perceived to be free, people abuse the hell out of it. And it's almost become like a social gathering, like my outing once a week is to go to the doctor. And they go and they, they go for coffee with Mavis and Margaret, and we all go to the doctor and compare our 15 prescriptions. And so, you know, it became a socialized thing where it was part of the culture where it never used to be. Now, here's the thing. Uh, it could work. And, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. Like, Canada has a way smaller population than the United States, and we had extremely high employment rates at one time, and everybody was working. There was a lot of industry happening. And so we could afford this, right? <clears throat> but what happened, like I mentioned earlier, is that it spiraled out of control, and more and more bureaucrats got involved, and there was more and more hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. So everybody was raiding the piggy bank, and that is how we've gotten to the situation today. So uh, I, I'd like to go on. Is there anything you'd like to ask or interject at this point? Because I'll just ramble off. I was going to say, so it basically just turned out like every other government program ever. Like it That's it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It, it yeah. starts as a good idea, but then bureaucracy yeah. gets involved and just – spends it out of control. That's it, yeah. And and not only that, but um you know, the whole uh the whole thing about it, you know, uh a lot of Americans don't understand how these things work. You know, Michael Moore puts his movie out Sicko and uh you know he he tells us how great Cuba is with their socialized medicine. He talks about Canada. But the, it's all lies. It's all whitewashed and uh he, I think for the most part, he just didn't know what he was talking about, to be quite honest. And, and let, let's put it this way, too. Um, Peter, the, the healthcare system in the United States is actually not that great either. So I'm not, uh, lionizing one system over the other. Um, but this one is definitely bankrupting us. So the reason that Canadians are of the mindset that our healthcare system is free is because it's free at the point of delivery, okay? So you show up at a clinic or an ER, and you have a provincial health care number that you're assigned, and you walk in, you give that number, and boom, you've got your doctor's appointment or you've got emergency care, which is great if you get shot, stabbed, run over by a meat truck or uh, fall off a cliff, you know, for trauma and things like that. Um, I had an uncle about uh, just a few months ago, actually, man that I that I love and respect, very talented, very intelligent man. He was working on a tractor and he was underneath it, and it uh, went into gear and drove over him and crushed his pelvis. He's now fighting for his life in the hospital, and he was. Uh, they 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 sent out a helicopter. They call it the Stars Air Ambulance, and that picked him up out at his uh, ranch and brought him to the University Hospital in Edmonton. So um, if he was in the United States of America and did not have a good health insurance plan through work, uh, their hospital bill would easily be in the millions of dollars, and they would uh, be dodging poop on the streets of San Francisco. But here's the thing. It's... It, uh, so expensive in taxes, right? Like I said, free at the point of delivery. So that does not cover dental. That does not cover optical. That does not cover pharmaceuticals or any kind of drugs or supplements that people might be taking. But they think that because they walk in the door and get that initial appointment where a doctor checks your blood pressure, uh, tells you to cough and puts his finger in you or whatever they do, 
then then that that means it's free because I didn't have to pay for that. Now the reality is that our taxation is through the roof. Like we see upwards of uh, 50, 60% taxation. We're one of the highest on the planet. I think second to France. But, you know, it's free, right? And so you end up, uh, there's a group called the Fraser Institute. They did a study. uh, And because there's no separate fund for healthcare, there's no separate uh, tax for healthcare, all those taxes go into general revenues. Then the federal government in Ottawa doles out the money to the provinces for their individual system. So nobody could really track how much uh, we were actually spending on it per person. But the Fraser Institute uh, did actually do a study on it and found that your average family of four is probably paying about $1,600 a month uh, on taxes for health care specifically. Wow, that- that's that's higher than even what I saw. Um, I saw earlier today. I saw an estimate. I have no idea how they came up with the estimate. So, uh, but it said that it, uh, can, Canadians probably spent somewhere in the neighborhood of of six thousand dollars a person in healthcare between the taxation and then the supplemental, which you can buy apparently in Canada. Yep. And then it. Just to give a comparative, in America, that same estimate was around $5,000. So it was like $1,000 more in Canada. Right, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's the same treatment, really. It's Western medicine, right? So, you know, you've heard me talk about that. And, and, and the other thing about that, there, there are some things that are uh, superior, I guess. Uh, you know, in, the, in America... What they do is they will send you for every unnecessary test that has nothing to do with what's going on with you under the sun in order to pad the bill. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they they pad the bill. And uh, here they won't do that because they they don't have an incentive to because they're getting paid the same no matter what they do, right? Right. So, I mean, there's there's pros and there's cons. Uh, but, and, and like I said, uh, uh, when the economy is chugging along, uh, and there's lots of industry happening, we could afford it. And when people aren't abusing it, it's affordable and it's not that bad of a thing. But human nature gets involved. And like I said, there's all the theft and graft that comes along with it. And well, you heard Bill Tufts on my show today, uh, the city where he lives in Peterborough, or, uh, Brampton, Ontario has 700,000 people and they shut down six hospitals and now they've only got one because they're, they're out of money. They're bankrupt. Uh, we're going Venezuela here, Peter. That's crazy. I, that was one of the things that he said that I wanted to make sure we talked about here. They went down seven hospitals to one hospital in a town of three quarters of a million people. Correct. I live in a town, like, if you, like the entire neighborhood around me, all dolled up and added together, is maybe 50,000. And we've got one of the best hospitals in the state. One hospital for 700,000 is crazy. It's insane. Yeah. And, and I mean, what if, you know, you've heard me talk about the coronavirus. I mean, what if, let's just say it was a major pandemic. What would they do? I'll tell you what they'd do. They'd have triage centers uh, set up in school gymnasiums. And they, there's no way they'd have enough healthcare workers to even have any kind of impact whatsoever. Never mind the fact that they wouldn't have the supplies or any kind of medical equipment to deal with it because, like I said, there's only one hospital. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Just call 64 My Rights. That's 646-974-4487. Are you fed up with progressive society? I'm Peter Serafine, and my frustration led me to write a short book titled Progress, Really? Progress, Really? is about the past, current, and future state of American culture, government, and social standing. I urge every liberty-loving American to visit my website, seraphine.com, and order a copy. Give Progress, Really? a quick read and some serious thought. That was seraphine.com, S-E-R-E-F-I-N-E.com. Order your copy today. 
Let me tell you why I chose Anchor to host my podcast. First, it's free. It's one of the few hosts I found that really is free. They have all the tools that you need. You can make your podcast on a computer, or you can download their free app and make edits and uploads straight from your phone. So, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I say download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. You're listening to the Liberty Lighthouse Podcast. So, what's been your experience regarding wait times just for an average appointment in, in the Canadian healthcare system? So, it, it depends largely where you are. Uh, I know people out in Ontario where Bill was, uh, you know, talking about uh, his situation specifically that that have told me that the average wait time you look at, like if you were to go to an emergency ward uh for for an actual problem you're probably looking at between 8 to 16 hours in wait wow yeah now on the flip side here um the wait times are a little bit less but the, the the reason for that is because doctors here are pressured to get you in and out as fast as humanly possible. Uh, we I, I used to live in a very small town of about seventeen thousand people, and they had brought some doctors in, and one of them actually quit because he he just said I can't do my job because they're telling me I can only spend five minutes per patient. Well, how the hell is that enough time to actually make any kind of accurate assessment? or diagnosis. You can't, right? So what they do is they throw antibiotics or, uh, you know, cortisone uh, at just about everything. And so that gives rise to these uh, antibiotic-resistant uh, bacteria. And the, the health of the people is absolutely in the toilet. Um, you know, uh, people are scared of this coronavirus. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, 25,000 people last year had their foot cut off uh, due to diabetes. Uh, there's, you know, millions of people with diabetes. Cancer's going off the charts. Uh, Canada's one of the top countries per capita for multiple sclerosis or uh, Lou Gehrig's d- disease, uh, atriolateral sclerosis. Um, and, and I know a lot about this stuff because I, I do this tactical health podcast with my good friend, Dr. Peter Glidden who's uh, been practicing for 30 years as a uh, an MD. And so that's, that's another difference between me and uh, some people. Now, Peter, I'm going to give you an exclusive. This is something I've never said on air. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is a first, man. You were the first person outside of my immediate family that knows this. And uh, so, so are, are you sitting down? I am, I am. Okay. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I had a very, very mild heart attack. Okay? Okay. And so, I called, uh, I, I, went, I did go to the ER uh, because I didn't know what was happening to me. I just felt a lot of pressure on my, on my chest. I was having difficulty breathing. And uh, they diagnosed me uh, with having a very mild heart attack. So, uh, because I'm friends with Dr. Glidden, uh, who is a naturopath, I called him after I got the diagnosis, and he told me uh, a handful of different nutrients to get, how much to take, how often to take them, uh, with the purpose of clearing an artery. Now, after I got that diagnosis, I got a call from the Mazankowski Heart Institute at the University of Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, where I live, a city of about a million people. You've heard of the Edmonton Oilers and Wayne Gretzky and all that. Uh, that's where I live. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but the, the appointment at the Mazankowski Heart Institute was one month away, and that was to go and get stress testing done and uh figure out exactly what was going on, maybe possibly get a stint put in or deal with it however they chose to at that point. So uh wait, 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 and, and, wait, hold on. 
A month? A month, correct, yeah, having just had a very mild heart attack. Okay, I went to the hospital once um, holding my chest, thinking I was having a heart attack. Now, mine had turned out to be just a panic attack. That's when I found out I have anxiety issues. But anyway, yeah, I walked into the emergency room holding my chest. They saw me as a middle-aged white guy, probably saw the nicotine stains on my hands from smoking for the past (laughs) 20 years, and said, right Right. this way, sir. I was admitted to the hospital. They were taking my blood every couple hours looking for that trip to whatever it is that that your heart gives off when you have a heart attack. The enzyme, yeah. I had a stress test the next morning. Right. Right. Yeah. They wanted to wait a month. Correct. Yep. So they expect you to sit at home, and uh, they they gave me a uh, what do they call it a nitrogen pump? So to dilate the arteries, they they tell you if you, if you keep having problems, spray this in your mouth. And uh, I, I did take that. Uh, I did not, however, use it. I called my my good friend, uh, Doctor Peter Glidden, MD, who is in Chicago. And I told him what was going on. Like I said, he told me to go and get a handful of things. I think it cost me uh $30 for the things that he told me to take. And so I followed his advice to a T. And then a month later, I went to the Mazinkowski Heart Institute. They put me through a battery of tests. And the cardiologist said, okay, uh, Mr. Phillips, I've gone over everything that they did at the uh, ER when you originally went in. He said, I have no doubt whatsoever that the original diagnosis was correct, that you did have a heart attack. He said that, but we cannot find any evidence of any damage. We can't find any evidence of a blockage. He said, we can't explain what happened, but you are a hundred percent good to go. And so I said, well, I've got a naturopath that's a friend of mine. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. They had no interest in hearing, uh, how this miracle had occurred. And, uh, that was it. But my point is, uh, because I have those connections and I take other advice, I'm actually the kind of guy that a socialized healthcare system, if there is, let, let's put it this way. If Canada was thir- full of 35 million, uh, Mike Phillips, the healthcare system would work because I don't use it. I, I will use it to get a diagnosis. Okay? Like if, if there's, if there's a serious problem, I'll use it. But I can count on one hand, uh, the amount of times that I have in the last 10 years. Uh, because of that knowledge, there's just a lot of really simple things that you can do to <clears throat> mitigate big problems. Let's put it that way. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that. But, yeah, the original point, uh, you know, you, you have a heart attack, and then it's a month later by the time you get your testing. And it's the same thing if you've got a brain tumor and you need that surgery like right now. Uh, I've heard people having to wait 6 to 12 months to get that surgery when they've been told that they're terminal and they've got three. And so what happens is anybody that has the money to do it in Canada, they might be a flag-waving, healthcare-loving, pro-Canadian, uh, proud of them, the, their Canadianness for what I can't figure out. Uh, but they will, if they've got the money, run across the border to the United States that they will bash all day and talk down about. Uh, because of their Canadian superiority complex and just get the surgery and then come back. And, and I remember specifically during the nineties, we had a premier in Alberta here. His name was Ralph Klein and they called him King Ralph. Okay. And King Ralph was seeing problems with the healthcare system and backlogs. So what he proposed was that we allow for private clinics so that people with money can go and use a private clinic, right? If they, because they're going across the border anyways, we might as well spend the money in province and keep it amongst their own people, was his reasoning. 
And not only that, but it would alleviate pressure on the system because more people would uh, use the private clinics if they were just down the street. Well, the Canadian media machine went into overdrive, and the mantra became, we will not have a two-tiered healthcare system. And I'm talking like a Kennedy there, I guess, but uh, that's my politician voice. But uh, that was it, right? That we will not have an American-style two-tier health care system where the poor don't get any health care and the rich get it all right away. And right, and so everybody was uh, huffing and puffing and rending their garment and you know sap, sackcloth and ashes and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because this two-tier health care system would be so evil. And so they scrapped those plans, but I'm here to tell – like, think about this, okay? Peter, do you think that, uh, say, a professional hockey player on the Edmonton Oilers waits at a public health clinic when he did, needs health care? No. <laughs> we have a two-tier Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or a politician, you know? Uh, they go to the front of the line. So the very thing that they were freaking out and uh, making it look like they were so concerned about – uh, they actually had that the whole time, and that's how it's always been. So it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a wash. And at the end of the day, Joe Q Consumer is the mark or the sucker, I guess. Right. Well, I, I mean, people coming to America for healthcare has has happened for you know decades and decades. And, yeah. Uh, most recently in the news, like around the world, was Mick Jagger who had a heart valve replacement or a stent or whatever it was that he had. And, you know, Mick Jagger's British, so he could have gone to the socialized healthcare system in England, but he chose to come to America. Yeah, they've got the NHS. Right. So, me not really ever paying attention to it, I've always just kind of assumed that was because we were the most innovative of the uh, healthcare industry around the world. And in research for the show, I looked up that that fact, the, the how innovative, where, you know, the only way I could think to look that up was the number of medical patents filed by country. Any idea how many of the world's medical patents come from the United States? <laughs> I'm guessing it's a pretty high percentage, but uh, you go ahead and enlighten me, Peter. Yeah, it's about 50% of the world's medical patents, both drugs and devices and whatever come from America. Almost 70% of the uh, written papers, you know, medical journal publishings and stuff like that, come from America. What I keep saying to people is, what happens to the world health system when America no longer has that private capitalist incentive to be those innovators? Right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Well, and, you know, penicillin came from Canada, right? Um, we, we've had some, uh, but, but I mean, that was back in the day. And, you know, Canadians still like to uh, brag about that, like like it's some great accomplishment that, that you know, they personally did. Or um, they, they do these stupid uh, PSAs on television up here where they'll say, uh, we sent uh, $20 million to Uganda, and then they'll show you a, a woman, and she's smiling, and she says, I'm Canadian, and I saved 20 million people today. Or, you know what I mean? It, it's absolutely ridiculous, but they hang on to it. And furthermore, I am a board member for a, a party called Wexit. You've heard of Brexit, right? Right. Right, so Wexit is a Western separation movement. Uh, the province of Alberta, where I live, wants to, the majority of people want to cut ties with Canada and become an independent republic. My deal, because I'm a very proud American, is that I think that uh, Alberta would make an absolutely fine 51st state of the United States of America. And we are very conservative. We would be a solid red state, very pro-2A, uh, very pro-freedom of speech, very strong industry. We've got uh, – we have enough oil and gas here 
to run the North American account, uh, continent for a thousand years. Uh, one of the largest deposits in the world. We have mining. We have forestry. We've got just, we got it all, man. Farming. You name it. And, but when I talk to people about the possibility of joining the union and becoming a state, uh, especially with, uh, President Trump in the driver's seat, the way that he's opening up energy production, guess what the first thing they say to me is, Peter? They're going to lose their health care. Exactly. And I say to them, you're already losing it, doofus. And you're, you're, you're afraid of losing something that you are not going to have very soon. Not only that, but let me, let me just tell you another thing here. We have in Canada what's called the Equalization Act. So what happens is, uh, the reason they brought about the Equalization Act, and it was in the early 60s, they said, well, we need things to be fair, and we need a high standard of living that is equal across the Confederation or the nation of Canada. So what we're going to do is we're going to tax certain provinces more than others. The federal government will take that money and give it to provinces that don't have as much, right? We're going to take from the haves, and we're going to give it to the have-nots. Now, where have you heard that from before? Pretty much every socialist idea ever. Exactamundo. And so, uh, like anything else that's ripe for abuse, Alberta, with a population of about 4 million people, has paid uh, approximately $400 billion to Ottawa, which most of it goes to the provinces of Quebec and Ontario. And so... What what has happened is, uh, see, now before Albertans, they were we generated so much wealth here. I mean, uh, the the economy of Alberta was, I think, fifth on the planet under about four other countries. Okay, wow. uh, there was so much wealth here; it was insane. It was like Dubai, you know, kids driving Ferraris and stuff. But uh, because of those equalization payments. It all got siphoned off and given to other provinces. And since those provinces had no financial incentive to set up their own mining or forestry or energy production, they had more incentive to live off of us than to become a have province, right? Just like a, a, do a stray dog that you feed, he's going to keep coming back to the door and getting more demanding. Well, that's what happened. And so Alberta was siphoned dry. Now the federal government is shutting down our industry uh, under environmental regulations, and just we are regulated out the yin-yang. So getting back to what I was saying before, because we were able to generate such a huge amount of wealth here, people were happy to echo out a living while paying for the rest of the country. Well, now... They still want that money, but they want to shut down our industry. We've had over 200,000 job losses in the last year. Alberta has had the highest rates of suicide in the last couple of years. Uh, people are losing everything and, and becoming homeless, but they still want that transfer payment money. Now, at the same time, we have the youngest, most highly educated population in Confederation. Ontario. Uh, the province that Bill Tufts was talking about that you heard uh, on the show earlier today, they have an aging population that is not replacing itself, that doesn't have the education level, and is approximately uh, three times our population. And without Alberta's money, they would be even way further down the hole in bankruptcy than they are right now. So... Uh, it, it, it drives me crazy, Peter, when I talk to people about the benefits of becoming a state, which we could do, uh, you know, just like Alaska did, and work out our own deal uh, within the union. But, uh, no, they've got this anti-American uh, Canadian superiority complex uh, that has been drilled into their head. And it's a cultural thing. Uh, 
there's no definition of what it means to be a Canadian. You ask people, well, what does it mean that you're a Canadian? Well, uh, okay, uh, our, our bacon is round, we like hockey and beer, and we're not American. So that, that's kind of the definition that Canadians have been given their whole lives. You are as Canadian as you are not American. And so, you know, I talked to him about becoming a state. Well, I don't want people running around with guns shooting up schools. And I'm like, do you understand how little of the time that happens? Do you understand that, like, 98% of the population never, ever sees that? Like, that, that is so uh, far and few in between. But the media blows it up so much that your average Canadian thinks that that's, like, every 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, your, your kids have to go to school with a flak jacket. And, uh, but, the, you know, I just want you to understand the mentality because a lot of Americans do not understand this about Canadians. And, uh, that is very much the case. No, that is the culture here, I'm telling you right now. So Canadians just hate America, but Americans look at Canada as basically um, polite Americans with healthcare. Pretty much. Now, when I say Canadians think that way, um, Albertans are very different from Canadians, uh, where I live here. Uh, we're more like Texans. Uh, we have a very strong gun culture. And that's the other thing that kills me, Peter. Uh, just, I don't know anybody that doesn't own a gun here, literally. Um, but they still have this thing in their head where, well, if we became a state, all of a sudden everybody would run around shooting up schools. And I'm like, well, you're surrounded by guns and nobody does that now. Yeah, you know, if we switched up the flag, you would all suddenly turn psychotic. And I'll tell you what else. We do have crime in the cities. We have gang violence. We have drive-by shootings. We have problems with drugs. And uh, you know what I mean? And the safest people, yeah, the the, the uh, provably most law-abiding demographic in Canadian society is gun owners that are, are lawful uh, license holding gun owners, because, and I'll tell you why, it's provable, because if you have a gun license in Canada, which I do because I live here, uh, and I've got a, a beautiful little heckler and Koch 223 sitting in a cabinet right beside me here, it's never once jumped out and shot people, Peter, not once, I'm, I'm still waiting for it to do it, but it hasn't, and, uh, but, geez, I got sidetracked, but uh, the, the reason I can say that we are the most provably safest, most law-abiding demographic in Canada is because if you have a gun license, your name is run through an RCMP database daily looking for a crime that you may have committed so they can come take your gun away. RCMP, for the Americans, RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The Mounties, the Dudley Do-Rights. That's right, yeah. Yeah. No, right? <laughs> if y'all want Rocky and Bullwinkle growing up. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, so, yeah, we started off talking about healthcare and we got off on, uh, a little sidetrack. So let's, yeah. Let's just get back around here. So, so far we've discussed that healthcare in Canada is actually a little bit more expensive than it is in America because your tax rates are so high. Yeah. Uh, that those that can afford to leave Canada for their health care. Yeah. Um, that those that can't afford to leave have to wait, including having to wait a month for a stress test after a heart attack. Correct. And let's see, uh, hospitals closing so that there's only one hospital per three quarters of a million people. That's kind of crazy. Um, oh, uh, back to the uh, supplemental insurance. So if it's my understanding that you cannot buy insurance for anything that is covered by the state or by Canada, but you can buy supplemental insurance for things that are not covered. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Most people have it through their job, and uh, that so that's how you get your uh, prescriptions, dental, optical, things like that, right? And so – you know, a lot of people do, or they just pay it out of pocket. And uh, there's there's other services like Blue Cross that will cover uh, ambulance trips and things like that. I mean, if you, God forbid, if you don't have uh, supplemental insurance and you have to take an ambulance for a quarter of a block, 
you are going to get just absolutely raped on your bill. Yeah, that, the, around here, um, like we have volunteer fire departments and volunteer ambulance uh, outlets. I don't even can't think of what they're called right now. Uh, the unit that runs the ambulance. But uh, around here, we have volunteer places that ask for you know donations, and you can become a member. And if you pay the you know thirty or fifty dollars a year to be a member of this EMT unit, then they won't send you a bill if you use them. But if you are not a member and you call and you get an ambulance, my God, it's hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah, they well, they ding it. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, so right. um, I'm I'm guessing that this is this conversation has not morphed into some type of an endorsement of the Canadian Socialized Medical uh, Establishment. Um, well, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's just yeah, there's there's some advantages, I guess, but in the end, those advantages are going to be erased when it bankrupts everybody. And comes crashing down, I guess is the takeaway here. And, uh, you know, everything isn't perfect in the United States either. Uh, you have the, the leading cause of death is, uh, MD related, uh, surgery accidents, uh, you know, uh, bacteria in hospitals. Uh, the leading cause of bankruptcy in the United States is, uh, MD related, uh, treatments that don't work but are very expensive. And so, but, uh, you know, as far as the Canadian healthcare system goes, it's like I said when we first started out, it could start if we had a moral people and a strong people, but we increasingly do not. And provinces like Ontario are the reason why the rest of it's kind of crashing because, uh, they, they suck it down the hole with it, right? Alberta, where I live, probably without the interference of Ottawa, could pull it off, to be quite honest with you, if we were able to, uh, you know, exploit our natural resources and with our low population and uh, the strength and health of the people, but the rest of the country drags it down. So, I mean, uh, I think that it might be doable in a perfect situation, uh, but it is very, very, very much not a perfect situation up here, and uh, it, it it is dragging us down the drain. I, and that's one one thing amongst many. And you know, like I said, once you have these massive amounts of funds being diverted into it, then you get a whole lot of bureaucracy and piggies at the trough, and they want more and they want more, and uh, it's it's starting to collapse in on itself. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, I, I saw an analogous meme. Uh, it was about Bernie's plan, Bernie Sanders' plan to to eliminate student loan debt, and it it was funny to me, and it kind of applies here. It the idea, the meme said, uh, "Oh, Bernie's plan is going to get rid of my student loans. All I have to do is pay four hundred and fifty dollars a month in taxes." Yeah, same <laughs> thing. It's not right. free. <laughs> exactly. Well. And I'll give you another uh, adage that I really like when I heard it. If something is free, you are the product. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's really that simple. And not only that, but, I mean, there's so many people that are skimming off of it now that they really have no incentive to improve any of their treatments, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I mean, these people can't even cure heartburn, and you're going to go to them for fibromyalgia or, uh, you know, bone and joint pain, osteoarthritis, uh, you know, blood pressure. Most people up here, once they – and it's the same in the United States. Uh, a lot of them, once they start going down the MD route, they end up on 15 different prescriptions. They got two fake knees and a uh, hip replacement and uh, – you know, it's it's kind of a nightmare, and that's that's why I'm so happy to be involved with Dr. Glidden the way that I am, uh, because I've seen absolute miracles since I got involved with that guy. And that's going to tell you something too. Uh, you know, here I am, living in Canada. I have access to free healthcare. Why the hell am I going outside of it for looking for a better deal? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's that's a pretty ringing endorsement right there. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. See, there would be no reason for me to uh, promote the work of a doctor out of Chicago 
Uh, I live in Canada. It's free, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> okay, unless you've got something specific that that we should have covered, that we glossed over, anything that you want to bring it back around to, I think we've got enough recording for the day. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered it, Peter. Uh, I just want to say thank you for uh, having me on your podcast here. You're doing a terrific job. I was listening to your last one on on firearms and, uh, you know, the way things are going in the U.S. And let me tell you one thing. Uh, as an American living north of the 49th parallel to uh, one south of that parallel, never, ever, ever, and this goes to everybody listening right now, never, Ever give up your Second Amendment. I mean, that is such a gift from God to have that. Never, ever, ever. I mean, jealously guard that because uh, as our economy is tanking here, Peter, guess what they're talking about now? Oh, semi-automatics. Right. Yep, they want to ban semi-automatics. They're talking about it right now. Absolutely. Yeah, as soon as the people start to get disillusioned about their government, of course they want to take your guns away. Yeah, once they figure out the scam, uh, yeah, for your own safety, we've got to take away your guns right now. <laughs> right. So, Mike Phillip, thank you very much for coming to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Uh, everybody, you can find Mike Phillip, American Uck Radio, and uh, Mojo50.com, and 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock Eastern Time, American Uck Radio. And do you mind if I plug my website? Absolutely. All right. You can find all of the episodes of American Oc Radio and the, the coolest T-shirts and coffee cups and subscriptions to Dr. Peter Glenn's health service to get advice on how to recover from uh, chronic pain and disease without drugs and surgery at AmericanOcRadio.com. And that is AmericanUCK. Radio.com. It's a play on American and Canuck. That's how clever I am, Peter. Yeah, I got that right away. <laughs> All right. Until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Lighthouse podcast. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call 64-MY-RIGHTS to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487. If you enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend about Liberty Lighthouse. And wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated.